Again, it's good to see everybody this morning. And uh, I'd like to invite you to open up your Bibles with me to John's Gospel in the third chapter. I'm going to be reading verses 22 to 38. I'd also like to say something to our, uh, to our musical folks here this morning, which is that uh, right after the sermon, uh, immediately after the sermon, I'm going to lead us in an intercessory prayer. That's where it's going to be offered. And then the song of response before the throne. So those of you who are going to be singing that uh, before the throne, I'd ask you to be ready to come right up after I pray. John chapter 3. The last part of the chapter. This is about John the Baptist. Again, John and his gospel, not John the Baptist, but John the Apostle, refers to John the Baptist more than any of the other gospel writers. And this is what we read as we pick it up in verse 22. It says, after this, probably after the feast Passover in Jerusalem where Jesus met Nicodemus, after this, Jesus and his disciples went into the Judean countryside. And he remained there with them and was baptizing. Now, say John chapter 4, verse 1 makes it clear Jesus himself was not baptizing, but his disciples were. And if that seems rather odd to you, Keep in mind that a number of Jesus' disciples had been with John the Baptist and part of his baptismal ministry, and there's undoubtedly a linkage and a connection there, as well as others. Verse 23 says, John also was baptizing at Anon near Salem. Anon, by the way, means springs, and uh, that area to this day has many springs, and it's in Samaria. He was baptizing Anons near Salem because water was plentiful there and people were coming and being baptized. For John had not yet been put in prison. This is still very early in Jesus' ministry. And now a discussion arose between some of John's disciples and a Jew over purification. And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who was with you across the Jordan to whom you bore witness... Behold, he is baptizing, and all are going to him. John answered, A person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given to him from heaven. You yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine, it's now complete. He must increase. I must decrease. He who comes from above is above all. He who is of the earth belongs to the earth and speaks in an earthly way. He who comes from heaven is above all. He bears witness to what he has seen and heard, yet no one receives his testimony. Whoever receives his testimony, however, does set his seal to this, that God is true. For he whom God has sent utters the words of God, and he gives the Spirit without measure. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. Let's pray together. Our Father, I ask you now that you would 
Make the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts acceptable in your sight, O Lord, or Lord, my rock and my redeemer. There's so much in this passage, and I just pray what I've selected and what we've developed here will be of useful, of use to you and the work of your spirit in our hearts. Amen. It's an interesting passage because it actually begins with a debate between uh, one of John's disciples and a Jewish observer, maybe a Pharisee, I don't know. But the debate was over purification. And purification refers to ritual washings with water. And these ritual washings with water were very common in Judaism. The Old Testament commanded a number of them. And then uh, in the first century, Jewish sects like the Essenes, who stored the the uh, Dead Sea Scrolls, so you've heard of them, they had their own special washings that they had added as part of their faith. And undoubtedly, John the Baptist's baptism was seen as an additional washing. There were a lot of washings going on. You remember when Jesus um, went to Cana and turned the water into wine, he told the servants to fill what? It was the Jewish stone jars of water purification with water. That's where the water was that turned into wine. Those were purification jars, jars for washings. And so a lot of this is going on, and there's, a, there's this debate that breaks out between uh, one of John's disciples and, a, and one of the Jewish uh, observers. And I think it really did come down to this, probably. The question was, and you can imagine it, the question was, I don't think it was an unfriendly debate, but the question was, how is John's baptism different from the rest of them? You know, John says you have to be baptized. Baptized. Be baptized. Confess your sins for the forgiveness of your sins. And why was John's baptism so set apart? Why was it so, why was it so necessary? And then to counter the insistence by John's jealous disciple that John's baptism was absolutely necessary. You can just imagine this Jewish observer bringing up, what about Jesus? Because you know, John's disciple, you know, Mr. D, that back in Judea, where John the Baptist used to be before coming up here to Samaria, you know that back in Judea, it's Jesus now who's performing the same baptism as John did. And larger crowds are going to Jesus than went to John. And undoubtedly, John's disciple was incensed. It was unclear what the deal was. So the Bible says they, that is John's disciple and this observer, they, you know, they go up to John the Baptist to talk to him, to kind of figure this out. They're debating it. I mean, who does this upstart Jesus think he is? I mean, wasn't he the one who came to John for endorsement? Wasn't it John who baptized Jesus? Jesus says, no, John. So they go to John the Baptist. They say, Rabbi, that's teacher, teacher. He who is with you across the Jordan, whom, to whom you bore witness, behold, he's baptizing and everyone's going to him, which wasn't true. But you can understand the sense of offense that was taking place here. Now, I want us to stop at this point and just think about what was really going on. What was the issue? What was the issue? 
from the perspective of John's young disciple. And then I want to translate that and think about how is that issue still translated now into our own context and into our current circumstance in life. What was the issue for that young disciple? Well, he saw Jesus as the product, as the outcome of John's ministry, as a result of John's preaching and John's baptism. So Jesus was beholden to John. And it was scandalous that Jesus would would pose himself as a rival figure trying to displace this far greater man. And it would even be more scandalous if Jesus were trying to displace him in the name of being even a greater man than John was. That was the issue. Now, how does that translate into our context? Well, I'd suggest this. That one of the widespread assumptions about Jesus today is that Jesus was a product of his times. Not just a product of John the Baptist, but a product of his times, of the religious and prophetic fervor of his times, stoked by the messianic hope and and longing of the Jews for a deliverer from Rome and by the failures of Jewish legalism, what I call sort of the the ongoing or mainstream Jewish spirituality, its failure to satisfy the soul. So Jesus is just a product of his times. And to assume that there's more to Jesus than than the currents of history that were swirling around him, out of which he emerged, really is, uh, it, it can't be true. To assume that he's actually from above, that he's not of this world, well, that can't be, can't be true. That would be, that's a scandalous thought. But of course, the fact is that John, who was there, John the Baptist said that was exactly what the truth was. And I think many today are just as alarmed as John's disciple at Jesus. Because the issue remains one of loyalty. But in our case, it isn't loyalty to John the Baptist. Today, it's loyalty to ourselves. Or maybe it's loyalty to someone else. Or maybe it's loyalty to some principle or uh, ideological commitment that we have made. What's John's response to this? His response to us, as well as the disciple, we see in verse 27, John says, a person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given to him from heaven. Now, if this means nothing else, John is certainly talking about spiritual fruit, uh, the ministry, the effect of ministry in which one, one person's impact of their life on another person in which that one person's impact is to draw another person to God. And John says that that does not happen unless that is the gift of God. That is the gift of God. That is not of this world. That is not of anything here. That is the gift of God. And John compares himself to the best man at a wedding 
who's overjoyed for the groom to receive his bride. John feels no jealousy, no envy, even though from a, an earthly point of view, what's happening with Jesus and his rising popularity is really at John's expense. He has a descending popularity. But John embraces God's calling on his life to gather people through repentance in order to present those same people to Christ as his joyful bride. He's not holding on. Because he embraced his calling, because he accepted and embraced his lot in life, he says so freely and joyfully, he must increase and I must decrease. And John's good with that. John is very happy with that. That's verse 30. That's our key verse. This was John's response to his disciples' protest. He must increase. I must decrease. Don't you understand? Now John here was talking about God's must when he said he must increase. He was talking about God's must when he said I must decrease. He was talking about God's purpose and God's design. And I tell you that accepting that makes life bearable. <laughs> accepting that makes it bearable, even facing death bearable. This principle that John enunciates was certainly true for him, but I'll tell you, it was true for, it's true for us. It's true for all disciples. Jesus said, he must increase and I must decrease before Jesus ever taught, but would go on to teach unless you lay down your life and take up your cross and follow me. You, you can't be my disciple. Uh, it, Jesus taught this long before the New Testament epistles teach us that we are to humble ourselves before God in order that he might lift us up. I mean, what, G, what John enunciated is a deep and profound truth also for you, and it is a profound truth for me. And I want to point out at least three respects in which this is the case. You know, John had to know that his life was soon to end. Not just that his ministry was going to end, but that his life was going to end. He had to know that. You know, he didn't have to be a, a psychic in order to know that. I mean, if you're going to go around and denounce a tyrant king named Herod of mar for marrying his brother's wife, you have to anticipate some sort of repercussions that you might lose your head. Last week, James and Kristen sang, and when I come to die, give me Jesus. And I would ask you, if you understand, you understand that there is a divine purpose in your end, that there is a divine purpose in your dying, that for him to increase, you must decrease. You understand that? It's in your dying that Christ will be most magnified in you. 
that his glory will become plainly evident in you. If you do not decrease in this way, he cannot increase in you that way. You, he, he must increase, you must decrease. And the aged believer and the dying believer is free to say, I mean free to say, he must increase, I must decrease. It's true. It's very true. Secondly, I want to speak in terms of generations. You know why churches cease to exist? Churches cease to exist because they refuse to accept this. He must increase. I must decrease. It's for the elder Men, it's for the elder women of the church to make a way for those who are coming after. And we prepare, we prepare the way for them by preparing them for the way. They are the coming bride of Christ. We see that. We recognize that. We prepare the way for them to do that, to be that, by preparing them for the way because we realize this is how Christ will increase. That means we must decrease. That's okay. We must decrease so Christ increases, so Christ is magnified. That's the way life works. Now, Christ will most be magnified in your ministry only if you decrease. His presence in your ministries now, in your life right now, will only become most evident after you have decreased. In what endures. That's when it's clear. Whether you are laying a foundation, that is when it is clear whether that foundation is Christ. He must increase. I must decrease. You know, I want to say something. It's hard, you know. I don't know if he's here today. It's very hard to see Wilson Baskin, Baskin retire from being the adult Sunday school superintendent, especially when he did it for the third time. That was very hard. But it was such a joy to see God raise up James Key to replace him. Someone Wilson has, has mannered. And as we're gathered here today, it's true, I don't speak for myself only, but I am very sad and I feel lost that the Lord is calling Carrie to North Carolina. And I want to say to you, Gary, the Lord is calling Carrie to North Carolina. We don't blame you. <laughs> Stinker. But is there no joy to see God raise up Luke Link to lead our music? A man who's grown in this church, been mentored under music, and has great gifts of his own. When officers who serve so well take that deliberate, dignified step back, it is hard to see. But then to see people like Randall and Josh and Pam and Vina and Matt Lawson stepping up is wonderful. And I could name many names today. Please don't be offended if your name or someone you know is being raised up. Is it name? I, time will not allow me to. But I want to be very concrete here. I want 
you'd understand what God is doing and how this principle works in our lives. He must increase. I must decrease. You know, and when we see this kind of transitions occur in our church, it is not uh, our must. It is not the church's must. It is God's must that's at work. And it's good. But I'm going to say this principle applies to every one of us in our lives as well. It applies to each of you this morning. Consider this quote from Blaise Pascal. It may sound a little wonky, but it's okay. He said this, he wrote this. He said, all of human unhappiness comes from one single thing, not knowing how to remain at rest in a room. (laughs) Great. Not knowing how to remain at rest in a room. You say, preacher, what in the world is the link between that and John chapter 3? Well, the, the link is very straightforward. The link is simply this, that whether you are sitting at home, whether you're sitting in the waiting room of doctor's office, whether you're sitting in a classroom, whether you're sitting in your office at work, or whether you are sitting in a prison cell, nothing will ever be like you want it to be. Nothing. And for that thing we most wish we could change, for that thing that we most wish were different, we are restless and we are bereft of peace. Terrence's brother, Brad, spoke at his father's funeral on Friday. I'm sure you'll be hearing more of that about that. But in honor of his father, Brad said that one of the things that Reverend Little taught him was, sometimes you got to go when you don't want to go. Sometimes you got to go when you don't want to go. And we could add to that, you know, sometimes you got to stay when you don't want to stay. Sometimes you got to love people you don't want to love. Sometimes you got to lose when you want to win. And my point here is not to bring us to the serenity prayer, although I like it, accept what you cannot change. The point is to make it your heart's desire to see Christ magnified in all things when you decrease, especially. Because time and time again in your life, you must decrease. And the comfort in, no, in, in going through that is to know Christ must increase. And that this is what matters. Nothing matters as much as this. Absolutely nothing. And this truth will sustain you. This is our faith. That those who trust him wholly find him wholly true. And when this is your heart's desire, as it was this heart's desire of John the Baptist, what I'm saying to you is that your emotions Your words and your actions will follow from that, will be deeply influenced by that. That the turmoil and the emotional uproar that gets stirred up in us, like it did in John when he was cast in prison and he sent messengers to Jesus saying, are you the coming one, are you? Or do we look for someone else? I'm saying is that when that is a heart's desire, that Christ be increased, 
That turmoil and that uproar that causes so much pain and indigestion cannot finally prevail against the peace of knowing we must decrease so Christ increases. It's the truth. John the Baptist was the last prophet, and as the last prophet, he was the forerunner of Christ. But he was also the first to confess Christ. That makes him the first disciple. He's a forerunner for us. And I say to you, every life is temporary. Every ministry is temporary. So you lay it down. While it's yours, you lay it down. And when it's being taken from you and you're decreasing, you lay it down. You lay it down. It's part of following Christ and giving honor to him. You lay it down. Don't worry about what other people think. Don't worry about what you think of yourself. The only thing you have to be concerned about is what matters to Christ. And what matters to Christ is your faithfulness. Your faithfulness. That's what matters to Christ. In fact, your faithfulness when you're decreasing, your faithfulness when you have to lay it down, validates your entire life's testimony. He really believed it. She really knew it was true. And the words that you sowed, maybe decades earlier, months earlier, years earlier, seem to have little effect. Those words you sowed suddenly start to spring to life again in the hearts of people. He really meant it. Here's a quote from Yogi Berra great philosopher you've got to be careful if you don't know where you're going because you might not get there isn't that great you got to be careful if you don't know where you're going because you might not get there let me say something John the Baptist knew exactly where he was going John the Baptist understood he understood that with the coming of Jesus Life is about something new and more wonderful than anything that had ever existed in all of life. He understood that. He understood that life now is about Christ increasing. So now our decreasing, which is inevitable because we're of the earth and we're earthly, our decreasing, however it occurs, for those who trust in Christ and are united with Christ, take on the, it just takes on the greatest possible significance when we're united to Christ in, in faith and in faithfulness. Suddenly, everything in our life, it's bound up with Christ. We know that when we decrease, he must increase. We're of the earth. He's from heaven. He must increase. It's great to know that there's someone who's increased matters much more than your decrease for you. More than offsets any decrease that you're going to go through in your life. He's not of earth. He is the heaven of heaven. He is the heavenly man. He is the man from heaven. When John's disciple 
came to John and said, this Jesus is the product of your ministry. John absolutely denied it because it was not true. And when your professors perhaps today or your scoffing friends or the entertainers you enjoy essentially say to you or dismiss Jesus with the idea he was just a product of his time, don't be ruffled. It absolutely is not true. John the Baptist at his own expense insisted that it was not true. Jesus simply was not of the earth as John was. Those who, who were there knew Jesus was not the product of his times. That is why they either hated him or they loved him because he was from above and he was not from below. And if Jesus was not the product of his time then, today, he is not the product of the past for us. He was, and he is, and he will be, above all, forever. He is the man from heaven. And I'd say to you this morning that rather than being embittered by your limitations or filled with self-pity at your present weakness or at the prospect of weaknesses in your life to come, Christ calls us to confess with the saints it's all right, Lord. I will glory in my weakness. I will boast of my limitations. I am of the earth. But you are from heaven. And you must increase. And I must decrease. And by your grace, dear Lord, I am united to you in bonds of affection. For you have redeemed me and you will redeem me through every disappointment, every grief, and every end that I wish would pass me by. It really is not my destiny that matters, but yours. And it's in your increase that I find my peace now and forever. Your increase, Lord, your increase is my destiny. So dear Lord, please help me so that you might find me on that day as faithful a witness as John the Baptist was in his. Christ must increase. Hallelujah. I must decrease. Okay. Amen. I'm going to ask you if you join with me in prayer. Jesus, you are the heavenly man, the son of God, the eternal word become flesh. We are of the earth. We're from below. You must increase. We must, we must decrease. You will raise us up. Hallelujah. And you personally know what it is for us to decrease. You personally know what it is to suffer loss. Though you were equal to God, you 
did not consider equality with God something to be grasping. You, you emptied yourself. You took the form of a slave. You were born in the likeness of men. You humbled yourself by becoming obedient unto death on a cross whereby God highly exalted you. This morning, we ask that you would bring your peace and your joy to Andrew Brunson, who languishes like John in prison. We hear there's progress. We hear there's movement, positive directions. Our hearts are encouraged. But our trust is in you. This morning, we ask you to pour out your sustaining comfort on Mike so he might have rest in his bedroom as you heal him in his body and care for his soul. This morning, we ask you to shine your goodness into the heart of our brother Terrence who grieves the death of his father with his mother and with his brother Brad and his sister Asia in their living room. Help us all to see you clearly. You are our Savior. You are the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith. Yes, pioneer and perfecter, because what you have begun in us, you will bring to completion. And we thank you. In Jesus' name, we thank you. Amen.